This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Good morning. It's two minutes past nine. You're tuned to 102.7 3RRR. You may be listening via rrr.org.au, via On Demand, all kinds of different ways. It doesn't really matter. Good morning. This is Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. <gasps> and I'm Dr. Surf. How are you, Dr. Surf? I'm pretty good, thanks. You're not surfing today. No, I had a good surf yesterday, though. Mm-hmm. Has it yeah. settled down? Yeah, last time we spoke, it was pretty damn good. Yeah. And the Wednesday after that was all time. Right. And then it's just... We, we needed a break. Yep. And so... Huey gave us a break, Huey the way of God. And I look, yeah, it's been okay. It's going to be good next week. It's that time of year. It's getting cold though, mm. which is good. What's the water temperature? 14. Oof. What do you wear when it's 14, when you surf? I'm, in, I'm not in my winter wetter yet. I'm okay. in my transition. Yeah, because it gets which, down to about 9, doesn't it? Uh, about 11 okay. in the bay. Uh, look, I've got birdies on. And I've, I have to wear a hood now because my ears are stuffed, ninety-five percent closed. And if you get a little bit of water in them, it never goes away. Ah, so yeah. I wear a hood only for that reason. And a four-three. But look, yesterday was beautiful. It was mm. just a little bit windy. But no, I'm good. Good. Got a good guest today. Yes. We're going to be talking to a young woman about what it's like in the surf industry if you're not middle-aged and male. So. It's going to be good. It will be. And her name is? Her name is Bianca. Bianca Julica. Excellent. I hope I got that right. Very exciting. But we'll be talking about her, her surf wax, which is called Salty Rose, and what it's like to try and launch a new product in the male-dominated surf world, which is rapidly becoming less male-dominated. It's, uh, her, her website's amazing. I was mm. reading through uh, some stuff that you sent me about about what she's doing and why she's doing it and um, really looking forward to speaking with Bianca. Yep. We're going to speak with Dave Donnelly as well from Killer Whales Australia. Last time we caught up with Dave, he was on board the CSIRO research vessel, the investigator, off Antarctica. So he's now back here. And uh, we're going to talk about a new whale watching app which Killer Whales Australia has launched, which is in perfect time for whale watching season, which is well and truly kicked off. Uh, and also um, reports of orcas in Port Phillip Bay. If you mm. come across I have. the reports or the orcas no, themselves. No, I've seen orcas, but I haven't seen them for a while. Mm. But um, that whale footage for all whales, isn't it? Not just killer whales. Yeah, all whales. Yep. There's a few around they've started. Yeah. Which is great. And uh, there's a whale festival coming up, which we talked about last year on Phillip Island. It's an annual festival, so we'll talk to Dave about that too. Then we're going to speak with Hannah Tate. She's from Action for Dolphins, and Action for Dolphins is one of three groups that are all banding together next Saturday to run a seaside scavenge clean-up event down at Frankston Beach. If you're a long-time Marinara listener, you'll be aware and remember that we talk about the seaside scavenge events down at Rye. And um, it, it's not uh, your standard beach clean-up, which are always wonderful events, fantastic, usually community-driven events, but um, with seaside scavengers, you get to trade your trash for tokens which then you can take to a list of uh, local traders and get food and drink and even sometimes clothes for them so tokens made from recycled plastic pretty cool it's a fantastic concept so it's happening in frankston next weekend so we're going to talk to hannah about that and uh spider crabs are back (laughs) 
I'm only laughing because we whizzed down to look at the spider crabs last May and we saw three. Oh. And one of them was dead. Oh. <laughs> well. <laughs> because they kind of move around a bit, don't they? They do. It's just luck of the draw. But they've been off Blagari, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some uh, interesting um, uh, images already, like just massive stacks on. But we, um, we'll find out a little bit more about that. I actually haven't lined up anyone to talk about that, but uh, maybe we can do that in the next 20 minutes or just direct you to somewhere um, on the interwebs where you can look for that yourself. So that's today's program. A hmm. uh, bit of weather. Today we are heading for a top of 17 degrees with a mostly sunny morning, late rain. Good training for the mighty megahertz, Dr. Surf. It's coming up soon, isn't Two it? Two weeks. Mm. It's coming around And what a lineup of bands they've got. Yeah. Always a good day. The Community Cup, two weeks' time. Mostly sunny, cloud increasing, big chance of rain this evening, 70% according to the Bureau of Meteorology, and winds northerly 25 to 35 kilometres an hour. Good goal-kicking practice weather. Yeah, it's, it's a bit windy on the beaches today. Do you want a surf report now? No, save it. Oh. Is that all right? Otherwise we won't have anything to talk about. <laughs> That'd be a first. <laughs> Um, on tomorrow, we are heading for a top of 18 morning showers and then sunny. So just a quick kind of, you know, wet spell coming through and then it'll be sunny again. But it will be very wet tomorrow um, then with a sunny afternoon for our, uh, for our day off, if you get a day off tomorrow. Uh, Tuesday, oh, 19 and sunny. I don't know how I feel about that. It's winter. It should be like you yeah, know, 12. It's wrong. 19 and sunny on Tuesday. Uh, light winds becoming northerly 20 to 30 kilometres an hour during the morning. Wednesday, back to showers again at 18, still warm. Uh, Thursday, shower or two and 16. Uh, Friday, possible shower and 15. And Saturday, possible shower and 15. That's amazing, Dr Surf. It's not dropping below 15 for the whole week. Mm. We're in winter. It's <laughs> not just, happy. It's not right. Tired times if you're heading out today. Maybe for a surf. Maybe for a winter dive to go and check out the spider crabs. Uh, we are heading for a low tide at Port Phillip Heads at 9.36, so not very long from now, and then a high tide at 4.18 this afternoon down at Port Phillip Heads. Um, got time for a couple of quick news items. Do you have any? I do. Just one. Mm-hmm. Um, just a local item about Point Leo. There was um, a concept on the board to put in a helipad in the Point Leo Estate winery, and it's been... Um, and a, a big congratulations to the local community down there that rallied against it. It's been defeated. Right. So well done, guys. No helipad. That was going to be a private helipad, was it? Yes, on the Point Leo winery. Mm. They were going to ferry in their guests, which would be would have been very disruptive. And I should say that, that Point Leo graciously backed down. Point Leo winery graciously backed down. So thank you for that, guys. And the peace and quiet of beautiful Point Leo has been maintained. Recognising the wishes of the local community. And now hopefully we can have less signs on the road, please. Mm. There were so many signs on the little road <laughs> going past Point Leo and, and Shoreham that some wig or wag put up a sign saying, make love, not signs. <laughs> I kind of think I know who did that. But there were anti-AGL signs, there were anti-helipad signs. Oh, look, no more signs, please. They're ugly. There's a call from Dr. Surf. Yep.
And that's the only news I've got. Excellent. I've got a, a quick shout-out. Thank you to Abigail, who sent us a message via Facebook, wanting to um, pro- give props to Josie, Josie Jones, who has put out a um, just a little message about balloons. And, we, you know, we're all over this, of course, and we're sure you are too, if you've been listening to not just our show, but many shows on Triple R, Blow Bubbles, Not Balloons, which is a Zoos Victoria initiative. Um, and there's a really disturbing image of a little penguin washed up dead on the beach um, attached to a balloon with a string wrapped around its legs. It's really um, it's really quite distressing, but these images are just so important because they really get the message out there, particularly for people who maybe the message hasn't quite got through yet. So thanks, Abigail, for sending it our way and um, good on you, Josie, for uh, continuing to fight the fight against balloons and helium balloons in particular because we all know what happens to them after they get released and they're effectively just litter in the air, mm. aren't they? And it is my great, moving right along, it's my great pleasure to welcome our guest today, Bianca Julica, to talk about ecological surf wax, Salty Rose. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming all the way up from the beautiful peninsula. So first of all, I thought we'd have a quick chat about what is surf wax. There's a lot of people, I think, who will be listening out there thinking, well, what do you do with surf wax? So what is it? Um, yeah, of course. So surf wax is used to like coat the top of your surfboard simply so you don't slip off because otherwise it would be a tricky ride. Every ride you'd wipe out pretty much all the time. Yeah, so it's really a sticky wax that you coat on the top of your yeah, board. Yeah, keeps the water off. Yeah. And I should point out there's a few advertising executives out there that actually need to know this because there are a number of ads on television at the moment with these dweebs running around with surfboards into the water with no wax on. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah that's not cool. Ah. <laughs> so that's purely for an image, yeah. obviously. Stop using surfing f- to sell things, man. <laughs> we don't like oh, that. so these are not even for selling <laughs> the surfboards? They're for or cars. Oh, really? Or something oh. else. Anyway, we won't go down that road. <laughs> so surf wax, but in, in general, what's surf wax made out of? Well, so generally... Um, surf wax is made mostly with petrochemicals so um it contains paraffin which is a byproduct of refining petroleum so in order to make paraffin normally you have to process petroleum first so like the substance normally undergoes like a bleaching process um that releases dioxins and actually dioxins are like a toxic chemical that cause reproductive and developmental damages even even cancer to those exposed to it Um, So after the bleaching process is done, the chemicals are then added, which solidify it into like a solid paraffin wax block. Um, Yeah, so by the average time a block of wax has reached a commercial store, it contains like additional petrochemical byproducts, which obviously aren't ideal for the ocean. So yeah, my wax is all natural. Sorry, I'll just quickly and then I'll shoot to Bron. The wax does rub off when you're in the water, doesn't it? So those petrochemicals are getting in the water. Yeah, they'll slowly rub off. And and that's not good. No, and that's why you have to keep reapplying it. Because I think we do. And I think we've all seen images of of surfers, you know, in movies and and whatever, Mm -hmm. not necessarily in hands as you're pointing out, (laughs) Dr. Surf, but of of surfers standing there with their boards and sort of rubbing rubbing the surf wax on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. this has been going on for decades, hasn't it, in terms of having these products as being the yeah. only type of product that's out there? Yeah, generally it's pretty it's pretty limited to like 
big commercial brands that are supplying it but um there have been a few like trials into like natural waxes and stuff and slowly there is you're starting to see a change in the attitudes even that surfers have towards what they're going to put on their board and how that's going to affect yeah. emotions and stuff and I, I don't think a lot of surfers would be aware that the wax they're putting on their boards is bad for the environment yeah I certainly wasn't yeah and their bodies as well i think this is this is part of a, a general mm. um global slash cultural change isn't it yep. people are just becoming more aware of the impacts of what they're doing we're talking about balloons being released into the environment mm, and and that's yeah, yeah exactly and that's something that's it's starting to sink in you know this whole concept of, of bubbles not balloons and yeah um my kids one of my kids is in primary school and she's talking about it and her friends are talking about it so it's kind of that thing that it's starting to shift there's a change that's yeah. starting she there sees is. peeling balloons now and go oh we're not getting them anymore because we know what happens to them so and exactly, it's yeah. great that, that this is what you're doing yeah, yeah so bianca you've come up with a natural surf wax called salty rose yeah how does it differ from what uh, the other commercial brands yeah so my surf wax is um all natural so it's made up of beeswax gum rosin coconut oil and i've got a new range that contains dimitaceous earth big name i know it's a, it's a mouthful but um so i really am in supporting of local beekeepers so all the wax that the like the beeswax that i get is by a local beekeeper who kind of lives just around the corner from me and it's really great to like sort of advertise that because there is a big issue actually at the moment with like bees and we need to be really promoting that as well i think and so that's sort of how mine's made up that's but, so cool yeah. so you've actually got these two problems and brought yeah. them together for the solution that you're creating yeah it's amazing can yeah. i ask a can i ask a question dr Surf? Sure. just about how you got to that point so you recognize there's a problem here is a solution yeah because can i just ask you're, yeah. you're very young yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. are you 18 yeah i'm 18 wow so you've yeah. already created this product and you've done all this research can you talk us through the, the process of actually working out how to make surf wax? Like, how did yeah. you... And you're a surfer yourself. We should have mentioned that too. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm an amateur surfer. <laughs> I really surf for fun. Yeah. That's my, like, my ultimate goal. But I think Dr. Surf would say that's kind of like, that is surfing, isn't it? Yeah. Um. Your opinions on competitive <laughs> surfing. Well, it depends who you talk to. A lot of people say uh, that the best surfer in the water is the one who's enjoying himself the most. Yeah. And I think that's a good way of looking or at herself. it. Yeah. Oh, sure. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. So back to the question. How did you where, do you... where do you start? Like, I imagine for myself I could see that there's a problem, but in terms of going from recognising the problem to suddenly creating a product and, and the marketing that's involved behind that and all that, how, do you, how did you do it? Um, yeah, it all sort of started when I was actually at a local surf shop and I was with mum and we were sniffing the surf wax because that's pretty iconic, is actually the smell of surf wax. Yeah. We were smelling it all, reading about it and even just looking at the packaging. It's actually very, it's kind of, a very, it's a very sexist sort of product generally, particularly targeting a male audience. Just And just even that sort of thinking about it and then on the car trip home, I was like, well, they're all... They're all pretty, I don't know, specifically targeted. And I wanted something that was general and really, like, overlooked all of... Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah, I've you been could ring out, read out some of the names just so that the audience can get an idea of just yeah. how sexist some yeah. of these brands is, are. Is this from your website? Yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll mention that and put a link to that on our Facebook page. Yeah. So they're very, they're kind of misogynistic and yeah. and yeah. aggressive in their titles. So um, the, oh, do I really have to read this? No, I mean... <laughs> I'll read out a couple them. of them. There's one called Fark. 
Yeah, there's um, Viagra, Death Grip, Ransom. um, um, Oh, yeah, I don't want to read one of these. (laughs) You can read them because we know that there are kids listening. Oh, God, some of them are terrible. But anyway, they're all listed and there are images of them on your website as well. I'm just drawing attention to that. Yeah, and so... um, the drive sort of for me was already there once I saw that and was exposed to that. And then the science behind making a sticky, soft block of wax is actually a lot more complex than it would mm. seem. Took a lot of research and visiting like the surf museums and going to different surf shops, asking for help from different people and um, sending out anyone that was willing to go test it because I was developing it over winter obviously when I launched in November last year and so anyone who was willing to go test it <laughs> I would be constantly out there like oh was it sticky refining you know just constantly changing it was a bit of a battle to get the perfect yeah get the perfect how long product. did it take um I was your- actually probably working on it prior to the launch for about a year um okay. yeah getting the setup getting figuring it all out. And you would have been it. at school during this time as well. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, can we give a shout out to your local beekeeper because there's a picture of oh, him here Neil. from your website too. He's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Neil. He is, yeah, truly awesome. So he, um, I got in touch with like a local beekeeper group on the Mornington Peninsula and he was a part of that and he sort of just was like, oh, of course, like I'd love to be interested in because it's not a particular product that is popular that they sell when they're yeah. doing their beekeeping and stuff. So he was super happy to give me the wax and yeah, know that it's going to something that's promoting and a good cause for it. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm. So if anyone's interested in in finding out more about Salty Rose or even getting some, how can they contact you? Yeah, so I've got a website, so www.saltyrose.net.au and also Instagram, so yeah, salty underscore underscore rose. And as a final question, are you looking at putting any scent into your wax? Um, I've got a suggestion. Oh, do you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I know what this is. (laughs) I've always wanted, um, for those of you who don't know, commercial sex wax has scents in it and it's often coconut. Yeah, or, very tropical. tropical. Yeah. And I think a, a more appropriate one for down here would be wet Labrador. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love <Yep>. that smell. <laughs> yeah. can, can you see a market in that, Bianca? Yeah, I can help wow. out with that. Okay, I'll yeah. get my dogs to roll in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, some dog hair in there too. Great. <laughs> it's natural. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. all natural. natural maybe, scent. maybe you can test that with your, um, with your fellow surfers. And I reckon see. you get better grip with Labrador hair in your wax. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm derailing things. Well, Bianca, no. thank you so much for coming in. No, thank you all for the very me. best for the future of Salty Rose, and it's wonderful yeah. to speak with someone who's getting out there and, and doing something. Thank you. So yeah. well Thanks done. Thanks so much for having me. It's really inspiring, and um, yeah, can't wait to see what comes next with you. Thanks so much. Brilliant. <laughs> thank you. It's surf report time. Yay. <laughs> I'm sort of... <laughs> can, you, can you tell we got caught a little bit off guard there? I'm just... I'm just... Sorry, and excuse this noise. There we go. Oh, yeah, I had go. to lean down. I felt like Igor from the Hunchback. Anyway, the surf today is... Yeah, it's not that good. It's yep. quite small. It's very windy. The wind's from the north, with a touch of northwest in it. You would need to go to the beaches today. And find a beach that's sheltered from uh, very strong offshores. It's probably about three foot, so about waist high on the surf coast. 
and a little bit bigger on the peninsula and the island. Um, but look, it's going to be nice and warm, so go down, have a, have a wave. And we're hoping for another big swell Wednesday. So all of you people driving to work on Wednesday, think of me. Big Wednesday. I'll be in the water. Now, do, um, do you want to play this track now that... Yeah, why not? I don't oh, actually, just while we're in that kind of little update segment that we tend to have at this time, um, mentioned the spider crabs at the start of the show. There's a link on our Facebook page where you can go and have a look at some current footage. This was only taken yesterday, I think, mm -hmm. off Blegarry. So um, go and check out the Radio Marinara Facebook page and you'll see some incredible um, images put up. Uh, I will check the details of who put that image up. But, um, yeah, really, really amazing. And if you're getting down there, just be always mindful, we always say this, if you want to go out there and, and check out the spider crabs other than from the pier or from the jetty, just be conscious of the fact that you actually are in a marina. You're snorkelling in a marina. There have been, what I've been told, are a, a whole bunch of near misses mm, with boats. Lots of boats down there. Um, coming in and out of the marina, nearly kind of, you know, clocking snorkelers and divers and you just need to be super careful so just be aware of the fact that safety always needs to come first with that hmm. um, but if you've got some images and some uh, video footage of the spider crabs feel free to post them on our facebook page and then everyone can see mm. hmm. 934 radio marinara we're now welcoming into studio dave donnelly welcome back good morning dr bron and dr surf good great to have you dave. back Lovely to be back. It's a lot warmer here. Yes. Well, when we last caught up with you, you mentioned at the start of the show, That's you were right. you were on board the investigator <laughs> off um, the Antarctic coast. I'm being very vague here. <laughs> Where were you exactly? We were right along the ice edge when we were speaking. Um, so yeah, we spent about 56 days down there looking for whales and krill and all sorts of wonderful things. It yeah. was fantastic. And checking out the migration patterns of whales and linking it back to um, their poop. That's right. There were some poop people on board. They were very, very interesting people. Poop people are the best people. They can tell I'm, us a lot. I'm not going there, but how, did they actually get some? They failed to get some. I think we spoke about it when I was down there, and unfortunately, uh, because of different priorities, we weren't able to collect any poop. We're very high platform on the investigator, so it's quite difficult. It would be difficult. It's very difficult unless you've got a little boat and the whale does a poop just at the right time. Do they give any warning that they're about to do one? Sperm whales do. But apart from that... What do sperm whales do? Well, they, they generally poop before they dive. Oh. That makes sense. Yeah. This is a whole new line of research. <laughs> it's not even what I came in to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Just what other radio station would you hear a discussion about whale poo at 9.35? I studied limpet poo, and so for me, I can directly relate Jesus. here. Wow. <laughs> limpet poo? <laughs> yeah. Did it's, you, it's fascinating. No your eyes are shot. <laughs> trying to find it. It's, it's a direct indicator of the the richness of the microalgae that they eat, because you can you can analyse what's in the poo, and that gives you an idea of the quality of the food that's around, which then gives you an indication of potential future algal hmm. outcrops. Anyway, interesting. I divert. So why are you here, Dave? <laughs> I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to talk about three You've things. You've given us this wonderful guide, a concise comp and comprehensive waterproof guide to marine mammals of Australia and New Zealand. That's correct. They're very kindly donated to our cause from uh, the International Fund for Animal Welfare and we distribute those at the uh, Whale Festival in Phillip Island and this year will be on uh, July 5 to 7. So come down and get your free waterproof whale guide. So that's in about three weeks' time? Around about that, yeah. Yep. Let's talk about, well, we might as well start with that. 
the, sure. the whale festival in Phillip Island. Uh, how many years has it been running? Uh, that's a good question. I think this is year four mm-hmm. uh, that we've been running. The first year we got about 300 people show up and now we're getting more than 3,000. So wow. we've uh, handed it over to Destination Phillip Island to do a wonderful job of organising that and uh, combined with Wildlife Coast Cruises, Dolphin Research Institute, Bass Coast Shire and a range of other supporters, Delp, Parks Victoria. It's a fantastic uh, family fun weekend. And what happens on the weekend? Well... The most important thing is the new beer gets launched, the <laughs> whale of an ale, um, and the rest of the time we're looking for whales and helping people spot them, showing movies, education programs, uh, plastic-free Phillip Island are there. There's a whole range of things, and um, including uh, Indigenous uh, Welcome to Country, a smoking ceremony and drumming circles. It's something for everybody. Yeah, great. And whereabouts on Phillip Island? Is it mostly in cows? It's mostly in cows, centralised around the community centre, but also along the coast where we take out uh, people to go and look for whales from the vantage points. And of course, the Wildlife Coast cruises are running their circumnavigate uh, whale watch cruises at the time. So uh, fingers crossed for good weather. Excellent. We'll keep um, promoting this over the next few weeks. Wonderful. Is it the sort of thing you need to book in for? Is there a chance that you'll miss out on things if you don't book? Certainly the education programs, which is the inflatable whale. You do need to book in for that. He's about 19 metres long and kids climb inside him to learn <gasps> all about whales and uh, whale-associated things. Do you have to be a kid? Mm, <laughs> special considerations for radio hosts. <laughs> that talk about poo. <laughs> it's not like a, it's, it's not a weight-related thing or a size-related no, thing to get no. in there. It's not a jumping castle, I'm no, sorry, no. sorry to say. Oh, oh. Important, important to mention that. Although that, that could a be great fun. image of us in a <laughs> jumping whale castle. I think we should organise that. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll stick that on the list of things to do. All right, fantastic. So Whale Festival, Phillip Island, coming up on July, what was it, 5, five to 7? 5 to 7. 5 yep. to 7. Excellent. All right, great. And we were going to talk to you about the whale watching app. We've mentioned this a couple of times, but now time to actually explore it. Time to actually explore it. Yes, Podwatch, it's been titled. It's a new um, web-based system. It's um, it's what's called a progressive web app. So it's not like your normal app that you have to continue to update and reload and log in for and all those silly things. Mm. Um, this is web-based. You simply grab it, uh, grab the link and save it to your home screen. It's a beautiful little picture of a whale's tail. And when you see a whale, you just press that button and all the fields pop up and you just start filling in the details. And then that, those data come to us and we try to make sense of it for you. If you've got the app open and you're standing at the coast and you think a whale's coming past, what would you do? So does it give you any kind of guidance as to what you might be looking at? You know, are you looking at a southern right whale or a humpback whale as opposed to, um, I don't know, oh, killer whales are going to be, we'll talk about killer whales in a minute. But, um, yeah, do you get any kind of guidance on how best to identify a whale that you're looking at? You do indeed. We actually have icons, which for each likely species that we're uh, interested in seeing. And if you don't know what it is, you can just hit the question mark and uh, put in a a descriptive detail. And each of those icons comes with a description of what that animal may look like. And you can just go forward and record your sighting. But the best thing to do, I've found, is to just watch the animals for a little while, count them, watch, watch what they're doing and direction of travel, and then everything else becomes very easy from that point on. So what are the main differences between... So we're, we're on the Victorian coastline and even sort of on the southern New South Wales coastline. What are we looking at? Like, how do you tell the difference between a southern right and a humpback? Because they're going to be the two most common types of whales, aren't they? That's correct. So see. it's going to be predominantly southern rights in the two bays region. Uh, sorry, correction, humpbacks in the, in the two bays region. But we did get quite a few southern rights last year. And the way to tell the difference, the quickest way, is does have a dorsal fin or not? 
If it has a dorsal fin, it'll most likely be a humpback whale. If it doesn't, it'll certainly be a southern right whale. There's a number of other things, but we won't go too deep into that one, but yep. that's, the, that's the key easy one. Um, how are whale numbers going? I, I read something a, a year or two ago saying that I wasn't sure it was the humpback or the southern right is almost back to pre-whaling levels. Is that correct? That's correct. The estimates now are starting to suggest that uh, humpback whales on the east coast of Australia and, and likely the west coast as well are almost back to pre-whaling numbers. What that was, we don't exactly know, but some clever modelling, people who are much smarter than me, suggested that might be the case. Southern rights, the, uh, the story is not so good. Still probably around about 300 animals in this southeast uh, sector, which is a uh, subpopulation. Um, so obviously those guys are struggling a little bit to recover. And is it because they breed more slowly or...? They do breed a little slow, more, more slowly than humpbacks, but they're also very susceptible to uh, impacts because they're such a slow animal and spend a lot of time at the surface. They're subject to vessel strikes. They're also in areas carving where we also have a lot of vessel interactions, particularly commercial fisheries. So this entanglements are a risk for them. Um, so there's a few things to consider there. Um, and then, of course, there's all the unknowns. Mm. Um, I read a, um, there was a media release that came out from Deakin Uni um, a month or two ago about uh, some research they've been doing on long-term impact of killer whale uh, have you come across this one, Dave? Yes, yes. So that's John Arnold and Paul Tixia, I believe. Yes, yeah, so these guys have been working on a fisheries-related fisheries project on uh, killer whales, and that's mostly in the uh, Southern Ocean but also the southeast of Australia. Um, so that we don't concentrate on that in terms of the killer whales Australia, but we mm. have supplied them with some data to help them with their work. Yeah, so it's looking at um, the impact of culling by illegal fishers more than 20 years ago and the impact of, that that's having on population numbers but also aggregations of orcas killer whales in the that is a that is a um the same it's a synonym isn't it what's that sorry? orcas and killer whales well orca is actually the scientific name for killer whale ah, okay uh, sinus orca um and it's just been adapted because uh, to a common name because people didn't like calling them killer whales right but obviously those people haven't watched what they do very much <laughs> so actually we'll get onto that in a second but um yeah we are talking about the same animal we are indeed, yeah yes. so really interesting research we'll follow this one up with the researchers themselves but actually looking at the impact that um that this illegal fishing has had on the killer whale population in sub-antarctic waters so this is near the crozet islands crozet islands yeah crozet islands um so yeah really interesting you know 20 years ago and there's still an impact there yeah absolutely and and killer whales were have been hunted in Australian waters by the, by Russian ships. Mm. Uh, and, of course, there's been some taking from the wild and all sorts of things. So, uh, yeah, killer whales are a very interesting animal. They're a, uh, obviously a dolphin, so they have very so very complex social structures. They rely on each other, take one out of the mix, and it starts to affect the whole group. Yeah. Can we talk about the killer whales in the bay? Because this has been very exciting news that's happened this week. It is indeed, isn't it? It's been great. Like uh, we, Lots of excitement. You know, killer whales come and go very quickly in Victorian waters. They, they stay around for maybe hours at, at any one site at the most, sometimes a day. Um, in this case, they stayed around for about an hour and a half at the heads uh, and it was first recorded or reported by Red Boats, the dive charter, but it was actually first recorded by Parks Victoria who were watching these animals, what looked to be a feeding event. Right. Yeah. So uh, very, very special. We unfortunately didn't get the right photos we needed to confirm the IDs, but what we do know is they were definitely there. They hung around for a little while. They killed probably a seal, possibly a dolphin, and then moved on. Right. Came in and 
had their, and this is nature at work, isn't it? I mean, you know, as it, distressing as it is, this is what happens. It is indeed, and that they're, um, I mean, they're called killer whales for a reason. Yeah. Uh, and they're a top-level predator on the planet, not just in the ocean. Yeah. Um, and these guys are just uh, amazing to study, amazing to watch, and we do our best to track them down. And I guess the sighting on the weekend, last weekend, was not unexpected. It's about the right time we'd expect to see them, but it's just unexpected that people see them when they do because they're so brief in their appearance. Yeah, their, their appearance is so fleeting. They're here and then they're gone, and it's about making the most of them while they're here. We do, you, do our best. Do you know where they go? Well, that particular group, we think we know who it was. Uh, again, the photos weren't quite good enough, but uh, we think they showed up in Tasmania a few days later, uh, which was uh, Christie's Beach, and then they moved across to the east to Tamar River, where we confirmed that we knew all of the all, all the animals that were photographed were already in the catalogue. They have a range of about 700 to 1,000 kilometres, uh, ranging from sort of central southern New South Wales right down to Hobart. Do they go across the Tasman? That would be... It's a very interesting question, isn't it? Stay tuned. There is a study we're part of uh, working on genetics of killer whales and we might be able to tell you more about that in a year or two. Yeah, the reason I ask is um, I used to go and surf the west coast of New Zealand a lot and there are a lot of killer whales there on... um, Sorry, the west coast of the North Highland around Raglan. Quite regularly you would see killer whales and I'm just, just wondering if they're the ones that... The same ones because we uh, i remember talking to one of our shark researchers and he said they've got evidence that great whites go across the tasman they do indeed and unfortunately to date we don't have any matches to new zealand it's certainly within the realms of possibility but it seems that they may well stick to their home ranges but who knows we'll see what the genetics say if you ever go to raglan go to the information center and there's a fantastic photo blow up there on the wall of four surfers paddling madly into the four points of the compass and in the middle of them is this huge fin and it's an orca. Wow. Quite incredible. They're so lucky in New Zealand. They Mm. get a lot of sightings and very close to the coast too. Mm. Uh, Last question for you, Dave, is um, I'm putting you on the spot because we didn't talk about this previously. Go Um, for it. uh, Mingaloo. So Mingaloo, the um, uh, white killer whale. Is that right? White humpback whale. White humpback whale. Uh, 30th birthday. Do you know much about Migaloo? I know a lot about Migaloo in terms of uh, what we hear and read on social media. It was first discovered in 1994, if my memory serves me correctly, by uh, the Pacific Whale Foundation in Harvey Bay. Um, Since then, he has been seen a lot. Um, There's a lot of fuss made about him. Uh, because he's different. Does that mm. sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, a white whale going up and down the coast, yeah. which is probably less valuable to the population of East Coast Australian humpback whales than any of the other male humpback whales ah. because of his uh, presumed albinism. Right. Wow. So, uh, anyway, apparently he's turning 30 and um, there's just been some um, footage of Mikaloo being spotted on the East Coast and seems to be like the, the gold star of the whale-watching bingo Absolutely. Everybody yeah. tries to get Migaloo and, of course, with, with that comes pressure from vessels. So something oh. to be mindful of if Migaloo yep. does show up in your neck of the woods. It's, uh, there are, in particular for him, uh, special 500-metre exclusion zones around that whale uh, in certain areas, particularly Harvey Bay in Queensland. Yeah. But uh, a great flagship for the species and the recovery of that species on the East Coast. Fantastic. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Doctors Broughton and Sir. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> and we'll put a link to um, what you do, what your group does on our Facebook page, but that whale watching app as well. It's pretty easy to find. It's very easy to find at www. 
dolphinresearch.org. Um, please just uh, report your sightings. We'd love to have them. We'd love to add to our database, which is currently 850 records for the two bays region. Oh, fantastic. That's great. Thanks, Dave. We'll catch up with you again soon. Thanks very much, guys. Good luck with the festival. Thank you. It's now time to introduce our next guest, Hannah Tate. Hannah's coming to talk to us about the Seaside Scavenge in Frankston, which is on next Saturday. And with more than 700 followers already on social media, the event's promising to be a huge win for Frankston and draw attention to the problems created by single-use plastics for the local marine environment. Good morning, Hannah. Hi, good morning. Welcome to Triple R and to Radio Marinara. Thank you. Yeah. This is a um, collaborative exercise with your group, Action for Dolphins, and also Sea Shepherd and Frankston Beach Patrol. How and did... Dive to You as well. Oh, Dive to You, of course. Yeah, yeah. I've neglected to mention wonderful people at Dive <laughs> to You. How did you guys all come together? Um, well, I actually met um, Sea Shepherd and the Dive to You crew down at the Rise Seaside Scavenge and just mentioned, oh, Action for Dolphins are running the next one. Would you be keen to jump on board? And the same, I just reached out to the Frankston Beach Patrol and, and asked Peter if they'd like to be involved as well. And, yeah, everyone got behind it, which is great. That's excellent. Um, Action for Dolphins, let's take a minute to talk about your group and what they do and we've had we were talking just while we were listening to the track um we've had one of your team members on our show before jordan yes was a yeah. while ago yeah, yeah yeah so action for dolphins started mainly to end the dolphin hunting that happens over in japan um and since then we've expanded to try and phase out dolphin captivity here in australia and again yeah expanded to try and fight plastic pollution by running beach cleanups and we also do a bit of work to try and remove the shark nets as well so, yeah. yeah. Super important work that you do. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the seaside scavenge events. And for listeners who maybe haven't caught um, us talking about them before, they've taken that concept of clean-up to a whole new level, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, and, and the idea behind it is to get people involved who might not usually be thinking about plastic pollution or who might not have atten attended a beach clean-up event before. And the way that it works is attendees to the festival will pick up trash along the foreshore in the beach area and then they can trade that trash for tokens which they can use in the festival to get second-hand clothes or um, local businesses have donated vouchers or have their face painted and there'll be music and it, yeah it's a whole big event with stalls and everything. How do you go about organising this? So in terms of lining up the traders, was that did you have to approach them directly? Yes, yeah, it was um, a lot of ringing around and we went, um, me and the other AFD girls went down to Frankston for a day and went into businesses and chatted to people and it's really great. So, so many people get behind it. Um, yeah, there's been a few businesses that will do a plastic-free pledge on the day as well. And was this something that you were able to draw from the success of the Rye experience and say this has been a huge success in Rye and we'd really like to, to bring it to Frankston? Yeah, definitely. And I think it, it, when you just mentioned, look, we're trying to um, protect the marine environment, we're trying to slow down plastic waste, everybody gets that they understand that it is a problem and that yeah we should be fighting it somehow so yeah a bit of rye and a bit of just people knowing it's an issue I, I was about to mention i think it's a really great time of year to be doing it around the frankston 
that side of the bay because a lot of the winds at this time of the year are from the west and they tend i've noticed they blow a lot of rubbish in to the beaches yeah so i think um what we found when we went to the rye one was that there, there were so many people there and they got there so early by the time I got there, all the rubbish had been picked up. <laughs> I don't think that'll be the problem in Frankston. No, especially not if, if it rains the weekend before. Mm. Exactly, because you've got the, the um, rubbish coming from both directions, onshore with the the winds, as Dr Surf was saying, but also from offshore, from well, from, from the through the stormwater. Yeah. yeah, and the creeks as well. So, sometimes even if the beach looks clean, it's the microplastics and the nurdles that are in the sand that, yeah, that's very time-consuming to go and collect, but they're massive issue as well. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I think in summer the, the council sweep the beach for rubbish but they don't pick up these tiny little bits because the, mm. the sweeper just can't cope with them mm. and so they're just left behind. I remember doing a, a pickup around Mount Eliza at this time of the year and the thing that we found the most were tiny little beads of polystyrene mm. that just don't get picked up by anything else and I would expect you'd find quite a lot of them Definitely. Uh, down there. And yeah. th th it's the kind of thing that you'll only get rid of if people take the time and effort to come down to a clean-up such as you're organising because yeah. they, they don't get picked up any other way. Yeah, that's right. It's, yeah. Excellent. Let's uh, have a look at next week and how it's all going to work. Actually, I wanted to ask you about the currency, how you work out the currency of the tokens. Is it by weight or do some um, objects kind of carry more... Uh, in terms of the currency, so you yeah. get you get your token for your rubbish, but how do you work out how many tokens per unit well, volume? Well, it was initially by weight, but the problem with that is that microplastics don't actually weigh very much. Yep. So yeah, that the way we've decided to do it um, for this event is that every attendee will get three tokens, and if they go and collect more, they can get another three just to, yeah, even out that weight issue. Okay, cool. And where's the clean-up area? Where are you looking at having this? We'll be based just near the jetty on the foreshore area and okay. it will, the clean-up should run along the beach and on the foreshore. Okay, so it's pretty easy to find. Yeah, just yep. right near the jetty. Now, we mentioned last week we were talking, we gave it a little bit of promotion last week and talking about public transport and whether or not the train lines are going to be down and I think next week they possibly will have buses to Caulfield and then okay. trains from there. Is that right? I'm not sure, actually. Yeah, yeah maybe just check out with um, PTV. Yeah, just mm. check that out. I think the Frankston line's okay now. I think they've already done it. Yeah, the, down the to Sandy Frankston. line. Oh, Sandringham line's definitely out. But the, the um, Frankston line, I recall seeing something about replacement buses from Parliament to Caulfield yeah. and, then, and then trains from Caulfield. So okay. if you're coming from the city, check it out anyway and have mm. a look. Yeah, yeah, we can post on the event about that. Yeah, and, and you can park down there as well, Yeah, obviously. there's parking, yeah. Yeah, and the train station's pretty close to the beach at Frankston, so... Yeah. Um, do people need to bring their own gloves, buckets, bags, or um, will you supply those? If they have them, bring them, but otherwise the beach patrol will supply some and same with Sea Shepherd and same with us. Yep, so. and it's a family-friendly event. Anyone can take part? Yes, definitely, and it's all accessible as well. Ah, excellent. And do people need to register, Hannah, or can they just turn up? You register when you get there, so you'll sign up when you get there. And we talked about the traders before. I just had one last question about the traders um, in terms of what's in it for them because they're basically donating their goods and their services, aren't they, to support this? Yeah, so we have a lot of just individuals that have donated a whole bunch of clothes and then we will have Tag for Life coffee cart down there and they they do shark conservation work. So, yeah, there'll be coffee and there's Bee Alternative as well will be down there. Um, the Dolphin Research Institute, Marine Mammal Foundation, 
Yeah, there's a whole bunch of groups. Great. So. And so ideally take your own keep cup. Yes. Oh, well, there'll actually be a mug washing station. <laughs> ah, so, excellent. Yeah, we've got that sorted as well. Brilliant. This has been a podcast oh. from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly oh. independent community radio. Want to hear oh. more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.